0: We got a show for you. I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you? All right, uh, this is just, um, nope, no, that's not, that's not the, um, is that the, oh, there we go, okay yeah so i've been told that thing the podcast is a little quiet so we'll uh we'll see if that helps well hello everybody welcome to this week's episode of strangely and friends the podcast my name is strangely this is the podcast if you're listening to it that makes you one of the friends uh i just graduated from university i have a fancy fancy degree in history And I managed to do it. I I think my final cumulative GPA for university was 3.92, something like that. Uh, My my little sister will probably correct me very soon that, you know, she, my my little sister just got her nursing degree and she got a 4.0, which is just, you know, everybody thinks I'm the smart one in the family, but obviously not. I forgot to take a sip of coffee before I hit record because I'm professional. So I'm going to have a sip of coffee now. This, uh, this podcast brought to you by coffee. Do stupid things faster with more energy. Do you remember that poster? Okay. All right. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, um, that's what's going on with me. I'm here in LA at my uh, dear friend's house, and I've got a little episode of the podcast for you. I'm going to change some things up uh, in the coming months. I'm trying to set myself harder deadlines on how much time I spend making each individual episode just because I have a tendency to not finish these as quickly as I would like because I'm trying to make them longer or try to make them better or whatever, you know, it's that kind of thing that will happen to you where you're like, well, it's, it's not good enough yet. And I really need to stop thinking about good enough. Um, all of my amazing supporters on Patreon seem to just want to help me continue to live and don't seem to be particularly judgmental about content. Uh, Although, you know, maybe now that I've said that out loud, some of they're going to all unsubscribe in droves, but I hope not. Uh, yeah. So I've got a couple of the classic segments this week. Uh, I've got a brand new song and uh, hopefully next week we'll have some guests again. I've got a few interviews recorded. They're just going to take a bit more editing than usual. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, let's start the show. Strangely Recommends, in 200 words or less. Including these 11. Who imposed this rule? Bob's Burgers. This might be the most genuinely wholesome thing currently being produced on broadcast television. Centered around the titular restaurant and concerning the adventures of its proprietor and his family, this show does an excellent job of portraying modern life in all its foibles. There's a distinctly likable... Everyman quality to this show that the inexplicably still-produced Simpsons lost years ago. A grounded reality that keeps me coming back to spend time in this delightful animated world. And yet, it is the kindness of this world that really keeps me coming back. One simple example. The father of the family, Bob, though arguably heterosexual, is portrayed as comfortable with the times gay men hit on him and actually gives such liaisons a ponder before respectfully declining. Similar gentleness pervades the stories told on this show. Many of the colorful cast of characters populating the neighborhood are often revealed to have unexpected depths, depths that usually contribute to the resolution of plot lines through the discovery of unexpected empathy. If you need a break from everything's overwhelmingness, I cannot think of a better show. I don't know what I'm going to call what I'm about to do, but I kind of have this idea of doing a segment every week where I just tell you about something I'm in the middle of. So a, a movie that I'm half through watching or a show that I've been watching for a while or a, a book that I'm halfway through reading. Uh, and and so that's that's what I'm going to try to do today. Uh, I've been reading this book called Your Mouth is Lovely by Nancy Richler, and it's it's a beautiful novel about a young Jewish girl in Russia and around the turn of the last century, so around 1900, who eventually gets involved with the the socialist revolutionaries and, and starts, you know, she's like hiding dynamite under her bed and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I just graduated from university with a history degree so and, and specialized in the history of Russia. And one of the last courses I took this past winter was on the history of Tsarist Russia, which ended with studying these exact social revolutionaries, and in fact, some of the the sort of more distant characters in this book are actually people that I've been reading about, like actual historical figures. So the, the, this this young girl is someone invented, but then the historical figures around him, people like Dora Brilliant, are real people. So it was really really cool to be reading this book. Um, I'm about halfway through it and it's been a while since i've read one of these um for lack of a better term literary novels it's sort of what you know sort of you think of like annie prue or uh uh what's his name david guderson snow falling on cedar sky you know it's sort of these things that sort of explore the dark inner workings of people's minds and hearts and that doesn't mean that these are stories without levity but it's sort of like they're kind of more serious. And yet, because this is taking place in this Jewish-Russian peasant's life, there's so much magic at the edges of her world because these are people who, you know, they, they don't know why they do certain things. You know, if, if a woman wants to get pregnant, she goes out into the into the swamp and eats this certain reed that supposedly will give her more feminine vitality to make a baby, you know, things like that. So it's it's a very it's a dark and difficult world but it's also a very enchanted world and that is that can be such a beautiful thing you know the the book starts in her childhood and then as she's growing up she's starting to sort of see more of the adult world and become aware of things like you know social inequalities and uh you know uh poverty versus wealth and things like that i guess poverty versus wealth is social inequalities but I guess like when I said social inequalities, I think about the fact that she begins to understand the place of Jewish people versus their Gentile neighbors versus, you know, the Tsarist authorities. Like all different levels of this, and uh, yeah, it's just this sort of really, really beautiful book. I'm not, I'm not sure how I'll feel about it once it ends. You know, it, it could end up being a, a total, uh, total uh, shit show in the in the final analysis. But um, so far, it's really beautiful. So. That's uh, what I have to say so far about Your Mouth is Lovely. Taking a sip of coffee before the next segment. Sip of coffee in my mouth. Grabbing my scripts that I left
1: over here. Not
0: very professional, am I? Got
1: my scripts, pages
0: totally gonna cut this part
1: out,
0: doo doo doo, doo. Here's a thing I've been mulling. What comes after? I've been thinking quite a bit lately about what comes next. Not just for myself, but for the world I live in. I think it's natural for me to be contemplating some sort of transitional or transformative period. Doubtless, this has been influenced by some of the hopeful news I've seen from around the world, although I think it might have more to do with the fact that I've just graduated from university. If I'm being perfectly honest, I'm actually feeling quite hopeful about the future, though. Some of you may disagree. You'll point to this or that news item, tweet, or experience you've recently had, arguing that these things somehow indicate a slow degradation of our world or even our very souls. Granted negative elements do exist. I can already hear some of you developing a mental checklist of the position of privilege I sit in as I speak of hope. And I'll admit it, I am a privileged person. But it is my very privilege that I'm hoping to use to affect positive change. Over the past two years, I've had the opportunity to draw away from the world a bit and rethink my many aspects of not only my art, but also the way I lead my life. For the first year, it was really, really difficult. I started running more seriously than I had since high school. I started reading more and surfing the web less. I began to apply rigorous standards to the evaluation of the many leisure activities I undertake. I also started living alone. For the first time in my adult life, I was finally able to look at myself. I mean, really look at myself. And frankly, I didn't like parts of it. Some parts I liked very much, thank you, but other parts less so. For instance. I'm beginning to lose my hair. (laughs) Wow, I heard you roll your eyes from here. Hang on, dear listener, there's a point to this. See, one of the things that started to happen in the past year is that I started meeting my own eye in the mirror. I mean, actually looking at myself in the eye. I'm not writing this as an exercise in vanity, but rather to share with you how much I used to avoid looking. One of the things that has changed in the past couple of years is that I've started to look started to pay attention and started to accept what looks back at me some of this has been a stark physical thing for any number of reasons i'm unhappy with the physical form i inhabit and most of them are things i cannot change but even more so i didn't like to meet my own eye for i guess emotional reasons it's no secret to anyone who listens to this podcast that i've dealt with suicidal depression since i was 14 Goodness gracious, you probably want to shout at your podcatcher, I thought we were talking about hope! Hang on, I'm almost there. (laughs) Knowing that was in the back of my mind really kept me from wanting to contemplate my own face, from meeting my gaze. I'm sure all of you listening to this know how uncomfortable it can be to look someone in the eye, to take in all the subtle cues human beings give off, albeit sometimes unconsciously, and come to grips with what they're thinking about. It can be doubly so to look at oneself in the mirror. When you're sat in a room alone in your own head, it's far easier to contemplate destruction than it is to look at the person you're thinking of destroying. I mean, after all, what is a mirror but a chance to contemplate the person that is you? I've spent a bit of time looking into that mirror, both physically and metaphorically, over the past two years. I've taken advantage of my time to address some of the things I did not like, and it's been a bit of a wild journey this has been possible because of the increased time i've spent alone i realized when i went back to school that my time was going to be far more constrained than it had been for the better part of a decade less of my time would be my own than it had been at any point in my adult life as a result i deliberately cultivated habits that would contribute to the regeneration of my mind whenever i could i am an introvert Not to be confused with an invert, which at times could also perhaps be applied to me, but that's neither here nor there. This does not mean I dislike people or their companionship. Rather, I require solitude to refresh my mind. So I made time for it. A brief aside, when I say solitude, what do I mean by that? I like the definition explained by Cal Newport in his book Digital Minimalism. Quote, Many people mistakenly associate this term with physical separation, requiring perhaps that you hike to a remote cabin miles from another human being. This flawed definition introduces a standard of isolation that can be impractical for most to satisfy on any sort of regular basis. Instead, solitude is about what's happening in your brain, not the environment around you. Solitude is a subjective state in which your mind is free from input from other minds. End quote. For me, this has become something I seek at least an hour or two a day. Time in my own head. Walking, shopping for groceries, whatever. Away from the input of other minds. No podcasts or music, just my own thoughts. Based on the definition of solitude above, I think it is much more attainable than some frankly ridiculous notion that it requires an isolated cabin to achieve. Trust me, friends, I actually got my privileged ass to an isolated cabin for the first few months of quarantine, and it was honestly no easier to contemplate the inside of my own head than it is here in Los Angeles, sleeping in my friend's guest room that doubles as a sign language interpretation studio. Where, where was it? This is something that almost anyone can cultivate. It doesn't need to be a special posture or cushion or meditation routine though these things may help my father has his own practice of solitude recently while celebrating his 66th birthday he and i stayed up late drinking whiskey and talking about alone time for the past 45 years he has driven large commercial vehicles cement trucks cargo lorries etc and he has taken advantage of the long stretches of time driving that he has to think Usually for the first few hours of any shift, he starts driving, and he does so in silence. No radio, no audiobook, no podcast, just his own thoughts. Part of this is his religious inclination. Sometimes he prays during this time, but not always. He told me his favorite thing to do is listen. Although for what, he couldn't quite tell me. The point I'm making with sharing this about my dad is that you may have more opportunities for solitude than you think. So why am I hopeful? Let's get back to the point. Throughout this ramble, I've repeatedly said that I've been working on this self-reflection for the past two years. That is not a mistake. I am well aware that our global quarantine started only a year ago, though I understand that for some folks it feels both longer and shorter, like a maroon lighthouse keeper contemplating kissing Willem Dafoe. But for me, much of this began a year before that. When the pandemic hit, I was already in a wholly different rhythm than I would have been if it had caught me, say, three years ago. Part of my decision to return to school was the desire to take some time, think through some things, and try to make eye contact with that ever-present face in the mirror. I needed a break from the constant inertia-addled momentum of my touring life. The solitude and alone time was not happening nearly enough. So I went back to school and started building up some insular habits, some thoughtful times. All that is to say, when the pandemic came, I was lucky enough to hardly notice it. Granted, I didn't go to class anymore, but I was still immersed in my studies. I still went on long runs and I still played accordion for hours every day. I was not checked out of what was going on in the world, not by a long shot, but I was able to fill my days without too much trouble or dependence on group activities. And this is why I'm hopeful. Because once the pandemic threw everyone else into quarantine, I noticed that something incredible was beginning to happen. In the midst of arguably the most difficult global event of this young century, other people started to take some time like I had been doing. I saw friends plant gardens, train dogs, pick up neglected musical instruments, and create amazing works of art. I saw people make intentional choices about what they were going to do with their time in quarantine. And it wasn't all productive. For instance, a theatrical friend of mine here in Los Angeles, when asked how they would spend the time, said something to the effect of, I've always spent all of my time either working on theater, watching theater, or prepping to do one of those two things. I'm going to use this time to catch up on all of the TV shows, movies, and books that everyone else is always surprised I've never encountered, because I was too busy making theater before." End quote. Granted, not everyone has been so lucky. For some people, the last year has been a constant struggle, a difficult time devoid of the things that used to bring them joy. No trips to the pub, no impromptu hugs, no bananas foster at Eric's house. My heart goes out to you if you've had a difficult time and you've not been able to find a positive in this. All I can say is that when we all come out of this, when we all finally gather together, those of us who have been able to find something positive We'll be waiting to share what we found, and hopefully we'll be able to help you find your positive thing. This is why I'm hopeful. The joys the solitude of the past two years have brought for me cannot only be mine. If I've learned one thing in my life, it is the resounding unspecialness of myself. I am not special. If I'm thinking of it, doing it, excited about it, I'm just one of a group of people who are experiencing the same thing. The same joy. They're making the same plans, scheming the same schemes, and prepping the same mind-blowing catapult-assisted sexcapades. Uh, Sorry. Maybe that one is just me. Anyway, got lost in there. Hang on. Um, Where's my... That wasn't in the script. Okay. Okay, yeah, here we are. Okay. I've taken to telling anyone who will listen that we are about to experience a boom. A boom in live performances as people decide that the YouTubes and Netflixes of the world don't really scratch the itch they've got. An itch that has developed into a full-body case of the Wigglies for many of us. A boom in hugs and affection of all kinds as people crave what they've been denied lately. A boom in sex positivity as more people than ever have gotten much more honest about their needs and desires in the difficult and selective environment that is distance dating during the pandemic. A boom in empathy. More people than ever have had the time to sit at home and actually read the news in a way that is more substantive than just a quick stroll through the headlines on Twitter. These changes have not happened to everyone, but I'm hopeful that they've happened to enough people. And maybe if they have, we can make something wonderful happen when we all make it outside together. A new roaring 20s. One of my frankly guilty pleasures during the past year, although there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure, but that's a topic for another day. One of my pleasures during the past year has been digging through a series of (laughs) post-apocalyptic... A series of post-apocalyptic fantasy novels called The Emberverse, or The Books of the Change, In the first book, all high energy density, you can just feel my glasses being pushed up my nose, all high energy density technology invented since about the year 1000 stops working. All of a sudden. We're not just talking about electricity and computers, but guns too. Now, this might sound like some kind of mall ninja revenge fantasy, and granted, there are some bits where while you were busy stockpiling ammo, I was studying the blade type nonsense happens, but the overall thrust of the series is one in the direction of how do the survivors hang on? How do they rebuild and look forward? Unlike many post-apocalyptic scenarios, S.M. Sterling's books contemplate a world where people seek to maintain the positive gains humanity has made in recent centuries, even as they sink back to a medieval level of technology. In this imagined world, people of color, queer people, and those with various disabilities are valued and celebrated in a way that they would not have been in, say, 11th century Britain. Like, like seriously, one of the coolest characters is this this girl named Eilear, and when the whole apocalypse thing happens, she's like 12, and she's deaf, so she communicates w- with sign. and. Then Ilir like runs off with another friend of hers, and they're both obsessed with Middle Earth. So they 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 make like a group called the Dunedain Rangers, and they live in the woods and they only talk to each other in sign. So they're like the coolest, like most badass ninja scouts. And oh god, it's so good, and I'm so nerding out. And I'm sorry. At some point, I'm gonna do a whole episode just celebrating these books because, like, for better or for worse, like they're trash, but they're like. Trash with its heart in the right place i don't don't quite know how to explain that but anyway sorry i'm totally off script um where i'm where uh okay sorry uh Uh, over the course of the series what starts as a post-apocalypse slowly turns into a kind of pre-middle earth the setup for a fantasy tale and one that has managed to build in an interesting way to not recapitulate the nonsense of the past. This is so unlike George Rarely Writes Martin. Yep, that's what the double R's stand for. Did you know that? Who seems to glory in saying, well, it was like that in the Middle Ages, if it's like that, so it's like that in my books. To excuse every prurient and vicious, I, I wrote viscous, but it's vicious impulse, whether it serves his story or not. You don't have to recapitulate every shitty thing of the past if you're creating a new imagined future, or even a different imagined past. Anyway, this is why I'm hopeful. Because I think we just might be able to make some things a little better as we start putting them back together after our global time in solitude. We could take the things that we learned and bring them out to share. Well, I cannot see the future, I can always try to strive for a better one using the self-understanding I've gained to help others find their own. I'll end this ramble with a quote from Kevin Kelly's 2010 book, What Technology Wants. Kelly has a very positive view of what's in store. He says, The future as a territory of continuously expanding possibilities is not only attainable, but also exactly the road we are on now. From my lips to God's ears, my friends. Here's hoping that we can get these 20s roaring. So this is a brand new song. And uh, I wrote this song uh, today. This is just brand new, like no one's heard it. Uh, And I I started thinking about the song as I was driving down here to LA and I was going through Oregon. And you know, there's some, there's a lot of fun things by the side of the road, and often, way off in the middle of nowhere in Oregon, I think it's like Highway 168 or something, between I-5 and the coast, you you, you go over this little range of mountains, and you, you hit this flat bit up in the mountains, and you see this billboard, and it's just, it's a huge billboard just made out of plywood that someone has spray painted four letters on. And then there's some smaller bill- billboards around it that have a few other things, and they're pointing to a, a farm stand. And, and um, so this is about that billboard uh, and the four letters on it. So uh, here we go. This song is called Sweet Cron.
1: And drink can and play. Pass the battle road sign up along the way. Says they've got a product, friend, you've got a to taste today. Forget the typo pal you stopped. You already wanna pay for that. Sweet cron Sweet cron Did you know that it's for sale in the wilds of Oregon? I'll buy me a couple bushels and then we'll be driving on. Munchin on that sweet crown. I reflect that I've been here before Used to be a lady down this way that I adored Wait, where am I kidding? There's been several, that's for sure Everyone abused so much It knocked me to the floor Just like that sweet cron Sweet cron Did you know it's on sale In the wilds of Oregon Now buy me a couple bushels And we'll be driving on Munching on that sweet You know that it's for sale in the wild of Oregon. I'll buy me a couple bushels and then we'll be driving on. Munching on that sweet, sweet. Enjoy that sweet, sweet. Gonna end this up too sweet. Do I love that sweet, sweet crime.
0: All right, everybody. Uh... <laughs> That song was called Sweet Cron. Hope you liked it. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I, I had a lot of fun making this week's episode, and I think I've sort of struck the balance between it being... A lot of work to produce, and it being something that I could reliably produce on a weekly basis. Uh, So yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch, uh, especially you folks on Patreon. Please let me know what you think of this episode. And uh, yeah, uh, stay in touch. Uh, You all know where to find me. I'll skip that bit this week. (laughs) Uh, Strangely and Friends, the podcast, is produced by me, Strangely in a secret, undisclosed location in Los Angeles, California this week. Special thanks to everyone on Patreon, especially my executive producer patrons, Tina Jones and Kim Truitt. My goodness, like, I eat because of you folks. Oh, by the way, welcome to my brand new patron, Sandra Ferrer. Ferrer? Ferrer. I don't know how to say your name, Sandra, I'm sorry. I could be saying Sandra, I could be like, Sandra. <laughs> Anyway, uh, welcome to the Patreon, and thank you folks so much. You know, I I always want to fall over myself saying thank you, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that just about does it for this week's episode, so thanks for listening. I'll see you all next week. Alright, here's a little poem for you it's called my dream this is by Ogden Nash here is a dream it is my dream my own dream I dreamt it I dreamt that my hair was kempt then I dreamt that my true love unkempt it I'll see you folks next week